This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Today, Saturday, December 17th, 2022. This is Pastor Ethan, and I'm so glad that you joined with us today. You know, this Advent season, we focused on the miracle of the Incarnation, the totality of the Christ event, as it's been said, from womb to tomb, to resurrection and ascension. You know, as the angel said to Matthew, and we've referenced this passage a few times, in Matthew 1, verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, this is the miracle that when we look at Jesus and the story of his life, how he came into this world, how he lived, what he said, and reaching its apex at the cross, when we consider what we see fully revealed to us in Christ, we are seeing the nature, the character, and the heart of God. You know, there's so many iconic scenes in the Christmas story, and four of them involve an angelic announcements. And of course, these four stories are the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, and one with not quite as much press time is the story of Zechariah. And aside from there being a supernatural, a supernatural angelic presence in each of these stories, they also have something else incredibly important in common, something that relates to the people to whom the angels appeared, right, all the way back then. And what this is, is the message, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, it seems like every week we see a news story of some new study showing how anxiety is at an all-time high in young people, and not just young people. You know, it seems to permeate our very society. It's not difficult to make a list of things in our world that can be scary, troubling, and to some degree this is always the case. But it seems to be just incredibly amplified now. Fear and anxiety are two of the most entrenched symptoms of the human condition. In church, into this brokenness, before the infant Jesus even drew his first breath, God proclaimed the good news of great joy that because of what was about to happen, in the midst of all of life, we would no longer need to be afraid. So what we're going to do is briefly look at these four stories of the angels' announcements of the birth of Christ. Right? Really, three stories of that. Zechariah's story is just a little different. And these stories overlap quite a bit. But in each one, we see a different perspective on the fullness of our deliverance from fear, right, in Christ. So let's start with the story of Zechariah. Zechariah was the husband of Elizabeth, who was a relative, of course, of Mary. Zechariah was a priest of the temple in Jerusalem, right? Luke tells us all this. And what happens is he's there doing his gig in, in the temple. It's his turn. And the angel Gabriel visits him, not to tell him of the birth of Christ, but of the one who would come right before Jesus. This is from Luke 1, verses 8 through 13. And Luke, the historian, tells us, Now once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now John, of course, would become John the Baptist, the one who would later say, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way, make straight the way for the Lord. It's John who would first identify Jesus as the Messiah, saying, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, Zechariah is inside the temple burning incense, representing the people before God. And according to the Old Covenant law and Jewish understanding, Zechariah was at that point as close to the presence of God as a human could get, really with the only exception of the one time a year when the high priest briefly would go inside the Holy of Holies. But then, all of a sudden, guys, God shows up in the supernatural presence of the messenger angel Gabriel. But Zechariah was not expecting this, and he was terrified. Now, the irony here is, just, is that just as Zechariah, I mean, he's right there at the golden altar of the temple, right next to the Holy of Holies, right next to the temple presence of God, and Zechariah was terrified by God's presence. You see, not only was the angel's sudden appearance completely overwhelming, Zechariah knew the consequence of being in the actual presence of God. Right? He certainly would have known what Isaiah had said after his vision of God's throne room. You can go see that in Isaiah chapter 6. This is where Isaiah proclaimed, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, Gabriel was not God, but in that moment, the distinction may have mattered little to Zechariah. And my friends, in the terror of God's presence, through the angel, Gabriel said to him, Do not be afraid. Next, we see the story of Mary. We're still in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Of course, one of the most famous passages out of Luke's gospel. And we read that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, right, that's Zechariah's wife, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. For you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. All right, this Gabriel shows up again. And Mary's response here is really interesting. You know, she doesn't seem to be terrified by Gabriel's appearance, like, like Zechariah was. I'm sure it was this overwhelming experience, but Luke doesn't tell us that she was afraid of the angel. Rather, she is troubled by what Gabriel might be about to say. You know, think with me here. I'm sure that none of you out there listening were ever called into the principal's office when you were a kid, so just imagine this analogy with me, Okay. You're going about minding your, own business, minding your own business when all of a sudden you're called into the presence of the highest authority in your life, at least at the school, or a presence you've never even personally been in before, or a person you've never personally met before. And what are you thinking? Well, you're thinking, this can't be good. 
I doubt the principal is calling me into his office to congratulate me on my B minus in algebra. Now, another image. Parents, your teenager comes up to you with a big smile, gives you a big hug and says, hey there, parent who is most highly favored. Now, what do you think is coming? They're about to ask you for something, probably something big. You see, friends, in this story, there's this subtle, this is subtle, but Mary here is a teenage girl herself, and suddenly she is standing before an angelic messenger of God. And Mary is frightened. She is troubled about what God was going to do. Here's another little scenario. Have you ever been in a church when they had maybe a special missions focus, maybe a visiting missionary who told the story, right, sacrificial living, and, you know, all these amazing things God was doing were through people who had literally nothing. And at the end of the service, the pastor prayed something like this. Dear Lord, we thank you for this missionary sacrificial service. And all of us here also offer up our lives to respond to your call to go anywhere, to do anything you would call us to do. And while the preacher's praying that, you're thinking, uh, God, I'm not sure I'm there yet. You see, my friends, for us, there may be times when we're afraid of being found out. And if I stop hiding, right, God may reveal my secret bondage, pains, and doubts. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of what God might do in this situation in my life. Or perhaps we've been sincerely, even desperately praying for God to intervene, to provide in a situation, and it's just not happening. And we're afraid what God is going to do that might not be what we deeply want to have happen. Like Mary, we recognize God is prompting us, leading us, but we're troubled at what it might mean. But my friends, in the fear of what God might do, the angel said to Mary, Mary, do not be afraid. Now next, we have the story of Joseph. This is from Matthew now, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And Matthew tells us, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So we see here, for Joseph... I mean, he was covered in anxiety before the angel ever arrived. So what do we see here was Joseph's fear? Well, he knew Mary was pregnant and not by him. And in that place, this was probably the worst scenario he could have possibly imagined. You see, Joseph is afraid of what people will think, of the disgrace that Mary will endure. And I mean, he will as well. But I think even deeper Joseph knew the punishment for adultery, right? He was faithful to the law. He knew the law. And friends, that's what Mary would have been accused of and found guilty of. And this would bring condemnation upon her, condemnation that was punishable by stoning. And what was the source of this condemnation? Well, as I just said, it was the Mosaic law, 
you know, Leviticus 20, to be precise, if you want to go check that out. And my friends, who was the author of the law? Well, that's God. You see, Joseph was certainly afraid of the public shame of his community. But even more, Joseph was afraid of God's condemnation. You see, fearing for his beloved's very life at the hand of the very law he devoutly followed, Joseph instead heard the angel say, Joseph, do not be afraid. Now, lastly, let's look at the story of the shepherds. Another very, very famous passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And we're told that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. Now here, Luke gives us a detail that's not found in any of the other stories. As we know, the shepherds were among the lowest of ancient Israel's socioeconomic statuses. And if they had heard the story of Gabriel appearing to Zechariah in the temple, right, we don't know if they had or not, but if they had, you know, they might have thought, well, that makes sense. I mean, after all, he's a priest, he's in the temple. But when the single greatest angelic revelation, single greatest angelic scene in all of Scripture appears before these men, they aren't just terrified by God's presence, they are terrified by God's glory. You know, every now and then a movie will attempt to capture this scene, and it just inevitably fails. Right? Usually coming off as just hopelessly cheesy. And that's because it's impossible for us to even start to comprehend what these shepherds beheld. The very glory of God shining around them. And there, in the midst of a presence they too believed would in their lives, the angel said, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. My friends, these stories are profound. They are stirring, and they're also ancient. But because of what they were announcing, that in Christ God had come to humanity, had come to us, today these messages still stand true. For in our lives right now, through our trust and faith in Christ, God still says to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let's go back and think for a second of Zechariah. My friends, in Christ, we no longer fear the presence of God, for we now live in the presence of God. In John chapter 14, 15 through 20, Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will. You will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Oh, what an amazing statement. 
Friends, as we discussed a few weeks back in Colossians, we are now, as disciples, we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. And as we saw last week, demonstrated through Christ's life on earth, by the Holy Spirit, God in Christ continually participates with us, associates with us, accepts us, and loves us. That's who we are right now as he leads us into the trust and obedience of who we are becoming. We don't have to fear the presence of God because we live in the presence of God. Now, thinking of Mary and her experience, friends, in Christ, we have no fear of God's actions because God's heart, his presence, and his purpose to us is always from his love. Listen to what Peter says. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He's writing to the church here, opening statement, and he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. For through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. Church, hear this. As Jesus said himself, you know, in this life, we will have trouble. We live in a world loved by Jesus, but a world that has fallen. Life can be hard. And there may be times as well when God's calling, God's leadership may guide us into situations that are also very difficult, where we can do nothing but look to Him, trust Him, and take one step of obedience at a time. But, or I should better say, and, in the midst of life as it really is, church, we proclaim and hold on to the promise that God is good that God will not violate his nature to accomplish his purposes. And we come to experience God's presence and his goodness by faith. Listen as I read from Romans chapter 8. And friends, just consider, if we believe this, right, just one day at a time and hold on to it, sometimes one moment at a time, friends, this is the power of God over fear. This is Romans 8, 31 through 35. Well, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Well, who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one. Christ Jesus who died, but more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. And then Paul goes on to say that in all these things, we are more than conquerors because through Jesus Christ, who loves us, My friends, we never have to be afraid of what God is going to do, even in the most profound difficulties of our life. 
God's actions to us, his countenance to us, the work and purposes he will work out in us, they are good. They are good. Next, let's think of Joseph. And my friends, in Christ, we are now set free from the fear of condemnation. First of all, two thoughts here. We are free from the fear of condemnation of the law. We are free of the fear of condemnation by God. Romans 4, just, just a few glimpses here of so many. Romans 4, 7 through 8. And here Paul is quoting back from David, actually, when he says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. In Romans 5, verses 9 through 11, Paul writes, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Christ? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Right? Not condemnation, but reconciliation to God. And then, of course, in Romans 8 again, verses 1 through 2, we read that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And my friends, because we are free of the condemnation of the law and we stand in humble confidence before God, this means we are also free of the condemnation of other people. Now, guys, this can be hard. This is deep water faith. You know, there are days when we just have to sit, I think, and hold on to this truth that in Christ we are free from the condemnation of man because we have been accepted by God. We are the beloved of God, and no person, no other person can take that away. You know, listen to who Scripture says you are. Right? If you are in a place where you are wrestling with your value as a human being because of what other people are saying to you and saying about you, or maybe you're saying about yourself just because of what's going on in your life, this is who God says you are. Colossians 3 verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I want you to think and say with me, I am holy and dearly loved. In Christ, I am holy and dearly loved. My friends, that's who you are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Again, can you say with me, in Christ, I am God's special possession. I am God's special possession. This is who I am. And friends, in Christ, this is who you are. In 1 John 3, verse 1, oh, what a statement, where John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. 
And this is what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Again, think, in Christ, I am, right? We, we, we make so many I am statements, right? I am done. I am broken. I am a failure, right? All these things and all the pride side of all of that as well. But friends, when it comes down to it, no matter what we say about ourselves or what the world says about us, we are, we can say, I am a child of the Most High. I'm a child of God. Lastly, thinking of the shepherds. My friends, in Christ, in this life right now, we are set free from fear because we have seen the glory of God in Christ. In the beginning of his gospel, John says this. This is John 1 verse 14. For the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, before the coming of Christ, to behold the glory of God would have meant terror and even death. But now, in Christ, the glory of God is what brings peace and life. And my friends, we can face the fears of this life and humbly say, Lord, in you I am not afraid, because we have seen the glory of God, and it was most fully revealed to us in the perfect love of the cross. And as John would go on to write in his first letter, there is no fear in love, because perfect love drives out fear. My friends, God's call for us is to trust Him, to cast our anxiety on Him, to not be afraid. And this is not just found in the New Testament. It is found throughout all of Scripture. I want you just now to listen as I read from the Psalms. Now, all of these references are, I've got them on the website right under the message here. I encourage you to go back this week and read them. Right, look them up in your own Bible. You know, maybe print them out, cut them out, put them on your fridge, commit one to memory. You see, guys, in the reality of so much, so much in our lives that could bring fear, God invites us to know and experience his peace. So we'll start with Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 118, verses 5 and 6. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord, and he brought me into a spacious place. For the Lord is with me, and I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Ah! What an amazing statement. And a very parallel one, Psalms 56, verses 1 through 4. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long, and in their pride many are attack, attacking me. I, I just love this scene here. Right Here the psalmist is saying, again, I am, right finished, I am in mortal danger. But then he confesses, Oh, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. 
For what can mere mortals do to me? In Psalm 3, verses 5 and 6, I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and strength. Therefore, we will not fear. Amen. And lastly, from Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Friends, let me close with this. You know, scripture commonly uses the imagery of a storm as a metaphor for this life, the struggles that we face. The disciples of Jesus are, are talking, speaking of us as disciples of Jesus, people who by faith in Christ, right, who by the grace of God have been brought from death to life in the midst of our storms. Friends, our peace is a person, right? Doctrine is important, but doctrine isn't our peace. Theology is important, but theology isn't our peace. Our peace is the person of Jesus Christ. You know, last week we saw the story of the disciples who were caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. The situation was dangerous, perilous, although it was not all that uncommon. And they were afraid for their lives. And then they see Jesus approaching miraculously, but they don't recognize, recognize him until he's right there. And right there, in the midst of their storm, in the midst of their fear, Matthew 14, Jesus immediately says to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Church, may we hear Christ say, Take courage, for it is I. Don't be afraid. My friends, this Christmas, if you are struggling with fear, with anxiety, know that Jesus understands this. He is right there, and he invites you to come to him, to cast your burdens upon him, to trust him, and in him by faith you will find rest for your souls. Church, I love you. Thank you so much for sticking with me today. And I will be back next week with a special Christmas Eve message. I'll probably record it maybe the day before Christmas Eve or Christmas Eve, but I will seek to post it on Sunday, Christmas Day, early in the morning. Friends, I love you so much. Have a wonderful week.